Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bartender's Choice. We are back in the studio with another session from Södermalm, Stockholm, Sweden. Me, Jacob Sandin, together with me, my co-host and business partner, Michael Bergstrom. How's it going? Good. Just catching my breath. Just uh, came back from a photo shoot downtown, so I just... Uh, felt like I ran into the studio. <laughs> that's, but I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Thank that's you. good. Keep keep up the pace. Keep running. Exactly. This is uh, BCA season for us. We have the uh, gala, the digital version coming up now on Sunday, December 6th. So that's getting closer by the day. We are super excited, of course, about that. Uh, to see uh, uh, all the winners and announce all the winners in the different categories. So... That feels uh, amazing and exciting. Uh, yeah, therefore we are going to focus on two uh, topics slash categories today, um, and that's going to be for best product and improver of the bar industry. We were uh, discussing a little bit forth and back earlier about the different back and forth, uh, forth, forth, forth and back, <laughs> forth back, back forth uh, about uh, the different aspects on how various products could be seen as not only very good, you know, products, but also products that has improved the industry and the people behind products, etc. So I guess it's, we're gonna, uh, yeah, it's funny that you, you say so because uh, you said we were in the studio and uh, our studio is also our storage. Uh, where we keep all the booze, all the, all the good products, all uh, the tools, and, uh, all the tools, and all the fun bar gadgets and, and equipment, and hundreds of, if not maybe thousands of glassware. Ish. I'm just currently looking at a, what's that? A heat gun, a, a, a siphon, a juicer. What else do we have here? Sovid, Sovid machine. Yeah, smoking yeah. gun. We have uh, a ton of fun stuff. Electrical scales. The coffee uh, blender. Japanese coffee siphon-ish thing that yeah. we're going to get into later. Porthole. So it's, uh, yeah, random stuff. Today's episode is presented in collaboration with FlexiJuice. So thank you very much, FlexiJuice, for making the Nordic bar scene fresh. Um, I just want to start as well by saying thank you so much for the feedback so far. We are uh, super happy with that. And uh, I mean, if you want to get in touch with us, if you have questions, if uh, if we just stumble into some topics which are weird, if we, you know, say wrong names, whatever wrong years, please let us know. Uh, you can email us uh, to uh, podcast at bartenderschoice.se. Don't crucify us. Just let us know. So uh, I guess um, we've tried to divide this session a little bit to make it somewhat easier for all of you guys listening uh, by dividing this session into three different um not episodes, but I guess uh, three different sections. And the first one, we're going to focus a little bit more on machinery and tools that has improved the uh, industry. And the second uh, section would be focusing more on ingredients and products uh, that has made um, a big impact. And the third 
part will be uh, you know focusing a little bit more on initi- initiatives programs uh, incentives etc that has been driving the industry and the cocktail culture forward so uh, that sounds good yeah to me <laughs> but i guess we're going to jump a little bit forth and back historical more yeah, uh, you know sure. modern aspects etc uh, but as we do <laughs> with that said i guess we're going to uh, start out with one of the most uh, crucial crucial and the most basic stuff that we take for granted in our everyday life uh, today whether we're being uh, civilians or bartenders and uh, that would be the fridge uh, i mean fridge freezers and ice machines would be the very foundation of uh, pretty much any bar nowadays uh, but it's a pretty fun story i think uh which w- makes us start this episode in the mid 1800s um where an american physician named john gory he built a refrigerator um to 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 keep ice and to cool the air for his uh, yellow fever patients and that be- uh, dates back to around 1842 uh, so that makes him one of the founding fathers of the refrigerator. Uh, but it's a pre- pretty fun story because, uh, uh, f- unfortunately for John Gorey, his plans to uh, manufacture that and to sell his invention were met with uh, pretty fierce opposition by a guy named Frederick Tudor, uh, a.k.a. the Boston Ice King. <laughs> because back then, Tudor, he had, you know, grand plans to to ship ice to Cuba. He actually was shipping ice to Cuba, but he had grand plans to start shipping ice all the way over to India from the U.S., which to me sounds like the, <laughs> the craziest plan ever, of course. So why not? Uh, yeah, but... Um, I mean, it sounds crazy, but, you know, you remember when Richard was uh, visiting us from... Uh, Richard Bucato from, from Dutch Kills and Hunderweights, was visiting us a, a few years back, and we went up north, northern Sweden, to the mountains, did a bit of skiing, snowboarding, etc. And uh, then we we walked over the lake one day uh, that was obviously frozen uh, with natural uh, ice, uh, clear ice. And he got so uh, thrilled <laughs> that he broke a big piece and he said, I'm going to bring this back home <laughs> and sell it as a natural <laughs> Swedish clear ice. Uh, <laughs> so, well, you know, maybe... Uh, yeah, not, not too too crazy the, of an idea. The story doesn't uh, the story doesn't tell if he managed to get that through customs or not. Or <laughs> <probably> <laughs> not. Uh, well, so later Tudor he was actually uh, awarded a p- patent for uh, the ice machine. So that's pretty much where where everything started. Uh, but moving forward, I guess um, something that really started. Uh, um, you know, creating a buzz within the industry, especially here in Europe, and I guess it started in London, would be uh, Hoshisaki, Japanese uh, ice machines. Yes. So um, if, if you had a Hoshisaki, that was equivalent with a good bar. Exactly. Manicure. Yeah. yeah. Having a great uh, drinks pro- program. Taking your drinks and, and the entire concept very seriously. Uh, whereas in the US, I guess the cold draft ice machine was... Uh, uh, what they used primarily. Yeah, and I remember when the Hushisaki was uh, first uh, uh, distributor here uh, in Sweden, uh, where a bunch of bartenders that just jumped that company and just <laughs> bought uh, every single one of them that they brought in. 
Yeah, it was almost that you could like, oh, did you hear that bar just got a new Hoshisaki ice machine? Let's go there for drinks. Yeah, so it's like, oh, they have a Hoshisaki. Yeah, Um, and I guess that later turned into the hype uh, surrounding the Kleinbowl ice machines that makes the the huge big blocks that you then cut cut up and uh, uh, which makes your you know big rock uh, uh, cubes. and uh, yeah, I I guess moving forward a little bit to to something as you know basic as uh, carbonation in drinks, uh, soda siphons, soda fountains, and uh, I mean the invention of just soda siphons to make make carbonated drinks also makes me uh, think of uh, the founder of uh, Schweppes. Joe and Jacob yeah. Schwepp and how yeah he, he was early right they were pretty early with the carbonation if not the first ones uh, one of the first I believe and I think they were also very early uh, goes to back to the 1750s something yeah uh, and they were super early to 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 implementing the crown cork uh, on top of the the glass bottles oh, yeah, to right. keep the carbonation inside um, which. Also today is just like the most basic stuff, but it's it's pretty interesting when you when you think Proof about it. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the electrical blender, um, and we touched upon this on on uh, some of the previous episodes, the frozen daiquiris at uh, Floridita in Havana. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. So so when the the frozen blender or the frozen blender, when the blender came down to Cuba, it uh, it totally changed the game of the the uh, daiquiri. And uh, and this was when was this like the twenties thirties somewhere somewhere around there uh, around that time and uh, I mean these days if you go down to Cuba or um, and order a daiquiri and especially I'm thinking of uh, El Fradita, uh the, the the common way of serving it is frozen exactly and, I mean they have I, don't, I I can't really remember because you're slightly intoxicated uh, when you visit that bar but uh, let's say they have eight to ten blenders just you know constantly running it's like uh, those ferries between Kowloon and, and uh, Hong Kong Island they just you know <laughs> they just turn around and go but they never turn off the engines you know they go back and forth mm-hmm. uh, and yeah just just change the game of the daiquiri down there absolutely it's very interesting to just think about it in that way that uh, like an, you know a new commodity or a new invention uh, gets implemented so much that it sort of uh, gets uh, introduced in the entire way of of their their own house serve the house style of the daiquiri. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I just remember here in Sweden or in Stockholm, that it was that fifteen twenty years ago when we were um, the strawberry daiquiri was extremely popular. Uh, I mean that that blender was it had to work mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. And uh, moving a bit forward to, uh, I guess, the mid-century and the rise of tiki culture and tiki bars, uh, then all of a sudden, another type of uh, mixer or blender mm-hmm. were uh, pretty popular and came very well in hand, uh, the single spindle mixer. Ooh, and if you had a, a good budget, you could have a double Ooh, spindle nah. mixer. <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah, that, that's uh, the spindle mixer. I when, when I started my career uh, behind the bar in ninety four ninety five, that was the, the way to mix drinks, especially when you work with juices, uh, orange juice, orange juice, or, or pineapple juice, or any tropical whatever juice, uh, and 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 booze, etc., and liqueurs. Uh, that's the way we 
kind of blended the drinks. We were never, all right. uh, like, never, like, we were never shaking drinks. We were actually only using that. Lacy? Uh, no, but you know, it kind of <laughs> did the job and it kind of created a, a nice, uh, I mean, back then we didn't really talk about textures and mouthfeel, but it did, uh, give it a certain mouthfeel and, uh, and a little bit of a frothy, nice head. So you, you could have, it was you, yeah, like a fluffy, nice head. You could have done it instead of dry shaking drinks, I guess, but yeah, maybe, but you know, very interestingly though, uh, we, we don't really see that, uh, anymore, that kind of mixer in bars, in modern bars. But I just came back from the photo shoot that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, and uh, I was down at uh, a place here in Stockholm called Bansch, and they actually had two behind the bar. Ooh la la! And that's one of the okay. The, the Do you know what what type of drinks they they uh, use it for? Uh, honestly, no, I didn't ask. Uh, we were there for a photo shoot, so the the staff wasn't there at the moment. I just noticed them. Okay. Oh, but that's cool. I also know that in in Greece, I believe the the most popular way of serving the the frappe uh, coffee drink, yeah, right. they use those uh, spindle mixers as well, right? Maybe it's gonna it's gonna be a big revival coming on here. Yeah, we'll see. Um, uh, moving for- forward uh, somewhat to the nineteen eighties, I'm thinking about the uh, the exacto pour, <coughs> which <coughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> which I guess uh, were. Uh, very popular in like the bigger commercial chain of restaurants, oh, cruise ships, etc. Taking et away the, the beautiful artistry of uh, of bartending, mm-hmm. but uh, I guess well, I can appreciate today in pubs, you know, with older, I mean, laid back, almost lazy type of bartenders, you know, in pubs when they have those bigger. Yeah, uh, whiskey down. bottles hanging yeah. upside down, yeah. and they yeah. just push the uh, the shot glass towards no, yeah, it. It's definitely something charmful about that. But the the exacto pour, I, I totally understand that. If you're, let's say, a, a big chain of restaurants or, or bars, uh, uh, and you have, I mean, hundreds of restaurants spread out all over the country or world, uh, of course, that's something that could be very useful. Mm-hmm. Totally. To to keep the stock. Yeah, intact. yeah, yeah. Okay. And then moving forward to pretty much the beginning of my career. Mm-hmm. Uh now I'm I'm thinking about the transition from when bars stopped using the 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 Boston glass part of a Boston shaker set and instead moved into using metal tin on tin shakers. No oh yeah. Because uh, this was everybody didn't stop. Not everyone. I, I know for a fact employees only still use them. Oh yeah, they want as, as a part of their you know the thing because they're always uh, keeping the the Boston glass uh, in front of the guests when they're mixing the drink or they're pouring the ingredients into the glass, and that's oh, okay. kind of their thing, their style. Yeah, sort yeah. of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's Anyways. true. That's true. Uh, but I guess that was around. I mean, for me, I started seeing it around 2007, I guess, and then mm-hmm. I I uh, texted actually, as you mentioned, with with uh, Richie Bocato of of Dutch Kills, and early 2000, he was working at Little Branch and Milk and Honey, which were two of the the first bars to to start uh, incorporating that in their uh, in their you know workflow, since they were also. Mm-hmm. One of the first bars to shake the drinks with bigger ice, oh, clu- yeah. ice cubes, sense. so the the, the Boston Min- glasses could yeah. break up. Yeah, minimize the risk of breaking the glass. Exa- and breaking the glass, 
you have a story about that, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try to keep this one short. <laughs> uh, yeah, th that was 2006, I think, I recall. Anyway, I, uh, I had a, a Boston glass shaker breaking while I was shaking. And Ooh. I just hit my wrists with the glass piece that broke. And uh, it was pretty much bullseye. It didn't look that much when it happened, but it's fairly deep. Yeah. Uh, so I, I went in the back. Uh, tried to sort it out with a band-aid. Uh, that didn't uh, re help. Realized did it? <laughs> that's not going to help. Uh, okay. And uh, uh, I finally, after like a half an hour, I went to the hospital. And uh, long story short, uh, I was on sick leave for seven months. Ooh, yeah, that's a long time. Shit, that's a long time. So, so uh, I haven't used a Boston glass ever since. It gives me the shivers, even when we go. You know. When you go to a bar in in the, in the U.S. Uh, and you get those uh, Boston glass, uh, pint glass kind of, you know, with your beer mm -hmm. or for your beer. Yeah. Uh, even then, kind of gives me the creeps. <laughs> ah, okay, shit. Yeah, because what when I initially started using them, what I was a little bit buggered in the beginning because I liked when I could see the color in the Boston glass when yep. mixing the drink. So you sort of knew when you had the right balance, etc. But that's just something you get used to by not seeing that. But what I really, really liked was the benefits of working faster. Uh, the shakers are lighter in mm. comparison, a lot more it durable. Feels it feels like it's chilling the drink faster as well. It's, yeah, I would say so. And also that you can do, you know, shake it with one hand, you can stir it with the other, you can have a shaker in each hand, you can shake simultaneously. Yeah. And just you don't have to be so careful when rinsing, etc. You can dump everything in the in the sink, and uh, yeah. I guess it it's just yeah faster and and easier. All right, um, continuing into uh, you know some other perhaps more recent tools that we've been uh, seeing uh, lately. I'm thinking about. You know, Japanese bar tools, they sort of uh, made a huge impact so from, you know, when we just had, let's say, we had two standard versions of a bar spoon, for instance, and then all of a sudden there were companies starting to import those beautiful mm -hmm. teardrop spoons, and they just made yeah, the, such the, the, an mass, impact. Massive impact, I think. Well, Japanese bartending and it, all the different aspects of, of Japanese bartending has made an impact. Uh, but, uh, but maybe foremost, the, the tools are the, uh, the, the the things that we're actually using. As you said, mentioned the, I was thinking of the dash bottles and, and the, the, the beautiful, ergonomically perfected uh, uh, bar spoons, uh, shakers yeah. as well, of the, course. Oh, yeah, beautiful, different like, styles. Know, the, the precision of uh, the manufacturers is our... Or it's a, it's a difference. Yeah, you could actually feel like the bar they're spoons, so, for instance. Yeah. They're like the way you've they weighted and balanced and, and exactly. And they're so d delicate, on point, uh, and, and, and the, lovely to work with. It's funny that you say with the dash bottles as, as well, because when I started working the bar, there were pretty much only two types, and they were usually leaking a little bit. You know, the the cork it sort of dried out and. It was just messy, splashing everywhere, and all of a sudden, these Japanese uh, cute little bottles uh, bottles showed up, and uh, yeah, you could be a little little bit more precise, I guess, which which is great. Yeah, and the, and the mixing glasses, you know, the Yarai, uh, beautiful Yarai mixing glass that came as well, that made v visually look better as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
and uh, it just felt a little bit more uh, uh, I don't know how to put it more a little bit more sophisticated to work <laughs> with Japanese bar tools but uh, uh, you, you don't think that's going to be a massive difference but uh, especially with the bar spoon I think uh, when I started work with that the first times uh, I was like oh wow yeah oh. <laughs> do, do you actually when speaking of bar spoons do you remember the, the spoons we saw pretty much at all bars when we went to San Francisco together this is like 2013 they're a little bit heavier they have a, a sort of a knob on top which you can break up ice cubes with and smash yeah, them with yeah, 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 yeah. and didn't, didn't we uh, buy a few, we, a we bought a few they were super cheap like two three dollars a piece i think yeah. the only problem was that the actual spoon at the bottom it didn't have the longest uh, lifespan if i put it that way Oh, okay. Some, sometimes that just fell off. But they're cheap, so you can get a, they, they were cheap and really cool. More, and right? I, I mean, I've never seen bar spoons at... It was really a San Francisco style of bar spoon, I would say, because usually you see a, a, a huge variety nowadays of different types of bar spoons when you mm. visit bars. But when I went there, I was like, okay, this is really the San Francisco style of a <laughs> bar spoon because oh, pretty right. much every bar had that one. That's well, nice to have that little weight that cracks the ice easy, right? Mm, oh, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, another trip you and me went on was to the northwest of Spain, to San Sebastian. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about those... Um, instant glass frosters they used in a lot of the more you know ambitious gin and tonic oh bars. yeah 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 uh yeah we pr- pretty much saw it at every bar i mean gin tonic is a huge thing there mm-hmm. and they're serving it in, in uh, like big what do you call those glass goblets copa glasses, copa glasses. Yeah, yeah yeah and they just every time you order a gin and tonic they, they put it through this uh, cooling machine that frosted the glass mm-hmm. it's really really nice actually and uh, of course, they save a lot of space on, on fridges and stuff or freezers. I guess so. And it's the glass is cool. Quite theatrical. So I guess a yeah, lot of yeah, guests definitely. sort of appreciate that little trick behind yeah, the bar. It seems like, you know, in warmer climates as well, that might be uh, a little bit more useful. Yep. Or, I mean, it could be useful here as well, but I haven't seen that much here in Sweden. I've seen it in Malmö, actually, in, in a town south, south here in Sweden uh, at a. Oh, guess what a gin tonic bar mm. uh, or a gin bar uh, called patties and they had two of those machines uh, in the in the back bar and uh, tons of gin on the back shelf and pride pr- was priding themselves with a, a big gin tonic program okay cool yeah also one thing i love about uh, spain while we're on the topic and just looking back a little bit we talked uh, about ice uh, briefly the ice game in Spain, even in the shittiest bodegas, shittiest mm. bars, nightclubs, whatever, they have amazing, huge, very dense uh, ice cubes, which I've never seen. I mean, I've seen good ice all over the world, but I've never see, seen it to that extent as in Spain, where every single bar seems to have just amazing, very, very big, uh, high-quality ice cubes, which is just... Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very interesting. We need to find one of those machines and bring it here to Sweden. That's interesting, as you said, like w- with ice programs as well. But it seems like in warmer countries and and in the U.S. as well, like in, in the warmer parts of the U.S., that uh, more ice uh, means you know that that's a better bar, better place, or a, a bit of not luxury, but you know uh, something that's very common. But it should be more a lot of ice. Yep, because that that's a good thing. 
compared to here in Sweden, sometimes when the things are changing to the better, of course. But uh, for a while, when I started bartending, it was like not so much, not so oh, much. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Don't, <laughs> like it was like I was d- diluting the drink or cheating or you know, trying yeah. to cheat them or no, uh, like or fool w- them. One <laughs> one poor little sad ice cube floating on the top. Yeah, that's yeah, like, that was like uh, that was one enough. one ice cube. That's enough. Well, maybe <laughs> we're we're so cold up here. We're trying to warm up instead of cool, I, cool I down. Guess so, but it's 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 also it's interesting as you say. I totally agree. But like in the let's say in the south of of uh, of the US they they use a lot of ice but it can be ice of pretty bad uh, standards it's like those you know flaky thin yeah, but, I like but that they pack they pack the, the glass yeah, exactly full. exactly that's what i like you know that the refill the water you know if you go to a diner or uh, you know somewhat of a not not too fancy of a restaurant and you get those glasses with this, this kind of a shitty flaky ice as you said and they pack it full and they just pour ice and you know it actually makes the water ice cold super fast which is super nice and then oh. you kind of oh, down absolutely. that and then they just refill it and yeah yeah and an, another type of uh, glass not froster but uh it's like a freeze rack installed uh in the actual bar top uh and i've seen it in beer halls and pubs in germany so when you mm-hmm. put down your pint glass of beer it sits on this little oh, cold yeah, yeah, rack, yeah, yeah, pretty yeah, much, yeah. that keeps the glass cold, which is cool. And th- I think they also have it in... It keeps keeps the beer cool until the last sip. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's great. Uh, but also I saw that in uh, in Hong Kong at mm-hmm. the Old Man. Uh, but over there, it was so humid oh, yeah, yeah, and right. warm. Yeah. So, you know, we got like all the condensation on the, on the outside of the glass that made the glass almost freeze and get stuck on the... Oh, on the because f- the condensation like, was dropping down into exactly, the base of the glass and that exactly. froze. Yeah, so I was right. close to, you know, sp- spilling out my drink and breaking glasses <laughs> and shit. So, so don't order uh, anything on a stem glass then. <laughs> exactly. No, you need to take it easy there so you don't create a shit show. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, would, that be, uh, would that be considered a product or an a, a industry improver thing? If the glasses don't get stuck, I would say it's for sure uh, a product that improves the industry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. mm. uh, okay, but um, let's say the uh, the sous vide machine. Um, we spoke about that uh, briefly. In mm-hmm. uh, actually, we t- touched upon it. I think in a in a in a episode earlier yeah we did i think about the dead rabbit irish coffee where they uh, keep the coffee yep. at a certain temp and also they they include the demerara sugar in there and they keep it at the perfect temp so they all they need to do is just take a room temp glass add the whiskey and pour the the uh, sous vide uh, temperature controlled coffee inside and then just layer the uh, the cream on top, and then so, it's so would at the, the perfect temp to drink it straight away. You don't have to wait and be no, the frozen and perfect to every, at every serve. But then again, is is the the sous vide machine, depending on the label or brand, of course, is that the the improver or is the dead rabbit the improver? <laughs> well, uh, let's say that dead rabbit is the uh, the the improver in this case for for using the sous vide, the sous vide the in a product. very good way. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and also, <laughs> let's say beets by Shorget, the drink at Shorget here in Stockholm, where yeah, they yeah. sous vide cook the the beets uh, together with absolute vodka, which makes just a beautiful uh, way of incorporating the the flavor from the ingredient into the 
final drink, which is, is cool. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And uh, I think uh, the guys at Taylor er, uh, Taylor Elementary in London as well, uh, Alex and Monica's, uh, what I've seen and understood uh, through social media, uh, they're using uh, sous vide machines as well for uh, infusing or macerating uh, botanicals, herbs, fruits, mm. uh, vegetables, whatever, into into booze. That's cool. Making it seems like and booze yeah, and, you can make yeah. it in a in a very controlled way when you can have that very specific temp and time just set out in the in the correct way and then shortly uh i'm not sure if this machine i mean it's somewhat a, a, a more of a pricier pricier uh machinery uh i was thinking of the spinzel uh, centrifuge that i think david dave arnold was uh, involved in i'm not sure if he, he designed the whole thing but uh he was involved in the project anyway mm, they used okay. it at Booker, yeah. Booker and dax and uh they definitely used it at uh uh, the sadly now closed uh, uh, existing conditions. Exactly. Yeah, I've 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 seen it, but I've never used it myself. I mean, there are centrifuges, but I think this specific one was for uh, uh, bars. Okay. Yep. With the, the the Ferrari of centrifuges, uh, at least for bars, <laughs> it was meant for for making uh, cocktail ingredients, like clarifier and, and then. Cool. Um, and then we have um, uh, also something that sits on the shelf just behind us, the Japanese coffee siphon, uh, also known as vac pots or vacuum coffee makers, which I would almost describe it as a, just a somewhat more advanced version of a French coffee press. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's basically two... Uh, containers or, or bulbs uh, one is filled with water you heat it up and it rises up to the to the second container sitting on top uh, where you can fill it with, with uh, various ingredients and you l- let your liquid just infuse up there and then when it cools off a little bit it uh, drops down again uh, also very from a visual point of view pretty yeah. amazing for that type of bar that uses that um, to, yeah, I, to get the guests thrilled. Exactly, and I can't, I can't really remember exactly when I first time saw it uh, uh, in a bar used for specifically for for making drinks or cocktails. But uh, I think the first time I, I it really made an impact was uh, at the Avery in uh, Chicago when we had one of their flights uh, of their like from the from their drink program and. That came out. That was one of the drinks that came out, and they prepared by the table. And I was like, "Holy shit! This is this is another game." Um, it's probably I don't know, seven eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, that was a wow effect. And I think actually, to be honest, we we uh, ordered. We went into internet and we ordered one as soon as we got back home straight away okay. <laughs> yeah, just to have one you know because as you said, visually it, it is very selling. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it is a really cool way of marketing your drink that you actually already sold i guess but <laughs> yeah yeah cool for presentations yeah, um, yeah well another tool slash machinery that i'm pretty sure that uh the aviary has been using uh, would be the road of app uh the first oh, yes. time pretty much i came across it would be some 10 years ago at uh in London, Ryan Shetty was working at the Whistling Shop at oh, the time. Yeah. Worship Street. Exactly. And um, that was a beautiful venue, by the way. Uh, yeah. 
very cool. Uh, small, intimate, like half flight of stairs that like yeah. just below street level if i'm remember no, no, correctly yeah, exactly. and if i remember correctly they had the rotovap was kind of staged inside like a glass back of house yeah and you, but you, could, you could sort you could of see, see it through it yeah you could see if you were sitting in a bar of you in in the venue mm-hmm. and uh, another bar actually that you you can do that on <clears throat> or in is uh do you remember when we went to uh, uh the uh, quinnery in uh, hong kong Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So you walk into the bar and they have kind of their prep station or you know the little laboratory or whatever you want to call it in in the front of of the venue. Exactly. And, and it's also like glassed, so you can look straight into it. Yep. Which is kind of intriguing when you walk in. So oh, <laughs> this is another level of bartending. It's the and then you kind of walk into the, the the venue and you sit by the a very low, beautiful, broad uh, bar. Yeah, it's the micro uh, distillery version of him uh, coke in uh, <laughs> Oslo. Yeah. yeah. Kind of. Which is the micro distillery version of a normal distillery? Yeah, <laughs> could you actually do that here in Sweden? Um, I don't. Or do you need a special license? I'm I'm 100 sure expensive. you need a special license. That's for sure. Because you can't uh, just buy a, a rotovap and, and put it up at or use it at back back of your house. And I don't think so. It's not legal. Oh, anyway. Yeah, we're we're a dark market. Yeah, strict, <laughs> boring. <laughs> Um, yeah, another, uh, cute little invention, also great for, for, um, presentations of your drink would be the porthole, which I guess also became that, somewhat yeah. synonymous with the aviary, right? Yeah, I, I think they designed it as well. Oh, did they? Yeah. Yeah, I perhaps. So they were involved. Well, it's a beautiful presentation as well. And, uh. When done the right. Same, the same, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> The same thing there. We, uh, I think we, after our visit to the Avery, uh, we uh, ordered one. That was a funny story, actually, because we got lost. You remember that? <laughs> so we waited for it. It was just on. It took in, forever. Yeah, it was like in Twilight Zone in the postal service somewhere around the world, and it just took forever. Um, but we got finally we got it uh, after like nine months or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, exactly. Nowadays, you 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 keep seeing these. Uh, uh dehydrated and dried fruits uh garnished on pretty much any drink in any bar and mm-hmm. i remember when the uh, the excalibur dehydrator uh became known as that's the dehydrator you need yeah exactly exactly because it's it's not too big uh it fits a lot of uh fruits mhm uh, and we actually got one of those as well. Yeah, we ordered because we were, uh, were at the time we were doing uh, quite a lot of events, and it became trendy. It's, it's a nice uh, uh, garnish as well, which is very stable. Yeah, and yeah, you, yeah. you can make it any any time and keep it forever. Yep. Ish. But nowadays, I guess you can buy them from various suppliers, from Flexi Juice, uh, for instance. Yeah, yeah, so course, uh, it's uh, it's easier nowadays. Today's episode is presented by FlexiJuice. FlexiJuice was founded just over a decade ago in Stockholm by Mali Ishtevi after he had moved back home from London. He started out fairly small by offering cocktail bars help with their daily prep in the form of delivering freshly squeezed lime and lemon juice on a daily basis. That later turned into more juices, purees, cordials, syrups, herbs, spices, berries. You name it, FlexiJuice has it. 
The hard work surely paid off, and they received both praise and love from bartenders, not only in Stockholm, but all across Sweden. Flexiduce was awarded Best Product at Bartender's Choice Awards for seven straight years before they got inducted into the BCA Hall of Fame. Since then, they've been presenting the award for Best Product at the annual gala. Thanks, Flexiduce, for supporting Bartender's Choice Awards. All right, what else? Uh, I mean, I guess we actually mentioned the uh, the smoking gun super quick. Yes, that w- we did. We have one here on I'm the currently looking at one. Yeah, on the shelf. And uh, I guess some good eight years ago that started popping up also to uh, some guests' thrill uh, <laughs> uh, in terms of you know cool presentations um, and. Uh, I'm that, not particularly a big fan of no, me, smoking cocktails. Me neither. But uh, I, I clear. I, I totally understand the, the visual effect it makes. You know, for instance, when you have a, a cocktail inside, like a glass bulb, mm-hmm. you, it's a beautiful presentation. You can scent that. Oftenly, the wood chips or whatever you burn off is scented with esteric uh, oils from from rosemary or flowers or whatever. Or, yeah. The uh, orange, or yeah, I mean, there's tons of. I guess the, the, but the uh, problem is to incorporate the, yeah, the smokiness in a good way into the drink from a flavor perspective. Yeah, right? I agree. Most of the times when I had smoked cocktails, uh, or when you use that technique, where if you shove that like rubber thing into the drink and you kind of like trying to infuse the smoke inside the drink, uh, it just lands really weirdly, uh, kind of a weird coating on your tongue. Uh, oftenly, I, I don't think it's incorporated or married well into the actual drink, or, or having a, a a purpose that is lifting the drink, if you know what I mean. But I'm sure there are uh, uh, cases when when it, it actually is really well done and it works beautifully. But uh, not a huge fan. But I, I I'm I'm a fan of the visual effect and <laughs> the presentations you can make, and and of course if. If you kind of smoke uh, the the air in a, in a bulb around the drink, and, and the effect is when you lift that, you get kind of the, the rosemary scent with the woody notes for, from uh, the ships, which is beautiful. And then you kind of drink the drink separately. Uh, I mean, that's that's nice. Yeah. So it works rather as a uh, um, sort of a, not a surprising moment, but it's sort of just... It it's, takes off and yeah, just it, it creates a, a, a starts a, like that a special moment, you know, when that that creates that mysticism and and uh, and what do you say? Uh, <laughs> I'm losing my words, I, but <laughs> I'm 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 searching a word as well, which I can't find. But the whatever, ho- the hocus yeah. pocus, exactly. Let's call it that. Yeah. And I guess the uh, the flavor blaster would be the smoking gun 2.0. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's definitely the evolution of that. Which works in a similar way, but it sort of creates a thin little balloon-looking sphere that sits on that you yeah you can make top it of the glass on, on top on of the, the glass on the very drink and, yeah. yeah and it pops and uh, I mean that, that's really cool as well. And uh, last time I saw that was at uh, maybe Sammy in Sydney. Okay, uh, last last uh, January. Okay, cool. Wow. Yeah, I don't think I've been to a bar where they actually implement that. It's popping up 
all over Instagram, I guess. Very Instagrammable. Yeah, but it's uh, yeah. I don't want to sound too too uh, uh, negative, but it's also it's, I guess it's not my type of bars with the uh, with that type of artistry, I guess. But it's uh, I, like I, it. I, I totally I, I, get the the thing that people love it. So you always call me conservative and old, and I like it when you say you're conservative and old yourself. I, yeah. Okay. <laughs> No, but um, I, I totally understand the visual uh, effect uh, that it does, and mm-hmm. it, it is beautiful. It, yeah. it is cool. I understand why guests like it. I understand yep. why it gets the attention yeah, it, yeah, yeah. it kind of deserves most of the times. So. Yeah. Okay. And then we have um, different, like various types of carbonation, carbonationing systems, such yep. as I mean, recently we've seen the uh, a product called Twist and Sparkle. Mm-hmm. But I remember when I went to WD fifty. Uh, in New York City, this is a good 10, 12 years ago as well. Yep, yep. And they had this huge uh, tube of, of uh, you know, carbonation. Yeah, sit, yeah, sitting on on the floor, pretty much behind the bar. Which, I mean, it was huge. But the uh, twist and spark is a tiny. Uh, I mean, a small, much fairly smaller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's like a, a professional soda streamer uh, for for bars, I guess. And uh, yeah, we've I've had m- many cool um, experiences, such as the Walker Inn in Los Angeles, where they force carbonated some of the drinks, and yeah. it just creates this beautiful. If 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 a bar want to make their like in house aperitivo style spritzy, Was it, wasn't the drink drinks. at the Walker Inn uh, that you had where where you were uh, almost started to cry? That was carbonated as well. Mm, I think it. Had some, yeah. It was f- forced carp- carbonated. That's true. <laughs> forced a tear in your mind. eye as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, then I've seen it at PS Forty in Sydney as well. Back okay. to Sydney, uh, and this might be the place. They had a a beautiful little spritz program. This is. Uh, I'm not sure if they are around anymore. Uh, anyways, this is three, four years ago, maybe five years, four years ago, and uh, they have a. Uh, yeah, they had a spritz program uh, where they. Uh, a la minute carbonated the spritzes they made in-house, which was beautiful. Sweet. Um, and then I guess ISI canisters, mm-hmm. uh, which has been used by bartenders and chefs to get a <laughs> to inhale it instead of using it for ingredients, just to get that little <laughs> buzzing effect uh, for a few seconds. But you can also actually use it uh, for rapid infusions, etc. Not mm-hmm. only for inhaling. <laughs> Um, promoting that stuff here, Jacob. Absolutely not. Um, so that's a way of, uh, yeah, making some some quick infusions, which we've seen also. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It was like a big thing five, six, seven, eight years ago, perhaps. Yeah, I saw it in New York the first time, twelve years ago, uh, where a ambassador used it for. Um, uh, infusing flavors in in uh, his martinis. Okay, and yeah. really worked. Yeah, cool. Within a second, that that beautiful martini tasted uh, was full of rosemary. Bang! I like okay. rosemary. I'm cool. constantly talking about rosemary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then this is uh, a topic which I'm not sure if it's is it improving the industry? Sort of, maybe. Yeah. Is it a product? Not sure. But cocktails on tap. It's a trend. It's no, been trending it's for the last couple of years, but the first time I saw it, we we uh, tend to keep going back to our 
visit in San Francisco back in 2013. It seems like that made quite an impact on us. And that place called, I think it's called Jasper's, Jasper's Corner Bar, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, right. They had a Negroni that. on tap. and that Downtown, was the f- right? Yeah, first time I tried it. And uh, they executed it qu- very well, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it started popping up a little bit here and there. I actually went to a bar, which we don't have to mention by name, but they had a old-fashioned on tap and i'm not sure if they really mastered the system in the in the uh best way because it was almost you know slightly fizzy and spritzy when it came out which makes it a bit weird for an old-fashioned just if you want to (laughs) like we want to have an old-fashioned on tap so badly so that they actually put it on the list even though they can't really execute it a hundred percent which doesn't really make uh, any I sense. I never had me. a carbonator or a fizzy <laughs> old fashioned. Might, might be a thing though. Uh, we'll see in the future. <laughs> but uh, I went to Coachella for uh, uh, the festival. Uh, this is 2015 or 16. And it was a brand uh, that had uh, a cocktails on tap program there as well. And uh, I was excited. It was uh, the first time I saw it like in, in, in a big scale like that on a festival. But uh, yeah, the same thing. It was horrendous. It was just. It was not very well tasting drinks, uh, unfortunately. But uh, but we did try a lot of them uh, that were good as well. Cool, yeah. Um, and then I guess a, such a simple thing as biodegradable straws, which the last two years I guess has just become huge. Yeah, compostable and biodegradable straws, paper straws. Yeah. Uh, which makes total sense today, and you can ask why didn't this come earlier? Uh, which, yeah, that's. But I mean, when it came, it went really fast and went global fast. And yep. uh, uh, a lot of restaurants, even here in Stockholm, that you maybe not believe uh, would make that change, uh, skipping plastic straws, uh, or I think they skipped straws at all. Like you know, they don't they, they don't they don't even do uh, compostable straws or biodegradable straws. They just skipped straws. All right, yeah. Period. What a statement. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then uh, metal straws. Metal straws, of course. Yeah, which would be the uh, most sustainable way, perhaps, of doing it. One would think so. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I also, think so well. I'm a huge fan. of I think it looks great. I like that. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> Once again, the, the the influence from New York and, and Sasha. Uh, first, I went to uh, Milk and Honey, two thousand and three or four, uh, and saw the metal straws. Uh, the first thing you did in the morning when you woke up, slightly hungover, uh, was trying to raid town and and see if you could get a hold of a, a bunch of those. Oh yeah. Um, and then we have the cust- custom branding irons for block eyes to you know. Uh, put your own logo type yep, yep. into it. I've seen and that a lot. Make your little your your sign. Put and your brand, yeah. yeah. Put your brand in down. I've seen that a lot. It's a fairly simple. Uh, I'm not sure if it's is, is that improving or or is it uh, the best product, or would it be like a <laughs> what category <laughs> category would it go under? Um. Yeah. It's a cool gadget. Yeah, it's a cool gadget, and I guess it just perhaps improves the industry by making cool little things for guests. It improves the marketing and improves the Instagrammable aspect of, of, of your drinks yeah. that might give you... Drive business to drive your business. bar. Yeah, yeah. I guess that and like uh, dried uh, dehydrated f- fruits and that 
you know, uh, branded ice cubes is something we've been seeing more, more and more bars uh, over the year, last last couple of years. True. But these days, you know, the ice companies are like they lasering in your your logo or your that also uh, for sure your brand. Cool. <laughs> All right, moving into the uh, to the segment with um, a little bit more focus, perhaps on ingredients that you actually put inside of your drinks and that your guests will consume you mean booze and and uh, mixers and, and bitters etc that's exactly what i mean i'll just say it then <laughs> um i guess uh absolute vodka when they came up with the uh with their first range of flavor or the first range of flavors they were the first uh vodka in the world to launch a clear unsweetened flavored vodka actually which was absolute pepper back in 1986 and they followed that one up with absolute citron and they've been just you know keep on pushing that and then it became huge in the spirits world yeah and would that be the best new product or would it be improver i would say that's more like because they products they, they created absolute pepper trying to improve the bloody mary Okay, yeah, and to make it easier for bartenders. Yeah, exactly. Well, the question is if it trick question. Yeah, <laughs> does it really improve the you know the the highest level of let's say craft cocktail bars, or would it perhaps no, make it easier then. for maybe dive bars, etc., to just have a more acceptable standard of Bloody Marys? I mean, they were pioneering that category of at the, the time flavor vodkas that were no added sugar and, and, and a clear spirit and forty percent, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then absolute citron. I mean, kind of changed the game for the cosmopolitan when that came around. Uh, Toby Cicini and uh, and Daily Groff swapped the vodka for absolute citron. Yeah. No, that's true. And now that became like the norm or the standard for a cosmopolitan a citrus vodka. Yeah, and then that trend sort of uh, continued. Um, there's uh, vanilla vodka from Cariel. Yeah, that was around two thousand or two or three, I think. Became a that was a huge hit in in London, and of course with the the, the massive influence uh, from London here in Stockholm, uh, we picked it up pretty fast when we had a as soon as we had a, a distributor, and uh, it just became a big thing here, and, and we used it for for everything, <laughs> and it kind of uh, locally we we talked about uh, 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 signature drinks in the was that the last episode or no the one before. Anyways, uh, it kind of created a, a bunch of local uh, signature cocktails here in Stockholm, at least. We talked about the raspberry fudge, yep, the juicy fruit, vanilla splash, exactly, uh, lo- local star drinks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was used a lot, and then mm. not soon after, absolute vanilla came. Oh, very true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, also Subrovka made quite an impact, I guess. Yeah. London spread over here to Stockholm and to yeah, other absolutely. places as well. And actually, I've seen, I mean, that, that was a big thing back then. It's always been around, but uh, I've seen downtown here. Downtown sounds like it's a big city, but, you know, here in Stockholm, down in the city, uh, there's a few bars that are actually starting to use that again. Uh, quite a lot. Cool. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much so. Uh, okay. Um, if we're sliding into liqueurs, Mm-hmm. Somewhat, uh, I guess the uh, 
huge boom back in yeah 2007 and the following years when mm-hmm. Saint Germain was uh, released. Uh, everyone, it was like I th- believe it was called Bartender's Ketchup because <laughs> everyone just wanted to to put it on everything or inside of everything rather. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was, I mean. Elderflower liqueur, beautiful bottle, the packaging, yeah, everything, yeah. Um, I mean, it really stands out. Yeah, good Still shelf does, stand right? out, absolutely. And really ergonomically <laughs> a disaster <laughs> uh, having that in the well, but uh, it, yeah, it really stands out and it's a big success. So Yeah, and it's interesting that exactly 10 years after Saint Germain was uh, released, uh, Italicus was launched in 2017, which is, I mean, it's a totally different product and uh, a forgotten type of uh, liqueur, uh, Rosolio, which we haven't really bergamot, seen in a, right? yeah, yeah, in a long time. It's flavored with uh, uh, bergamot, exactly. And also a beautiful bottle. Beautiful bottle, amazing packaging. And both of those products became so successful that they were... Purchased or bought. Oh yeah, Saint Germain by Bacardi and Italicus by Pernod Ricard. Yeah, and I think <laughs> wasn't it Simon Ford uh, a few years back uh, at Tales of the Cocktail uh, at the uh, the the gala? He made a little bit fun of <laughs> of the, <laughs> the the folks from Bacardi for for buying uh, <laughs> Saint Germain. Like, <laughs> guys, <laughs> where are you buying it now? It's over. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, uh, ouch! But uh, I, I don't think it's it's over. It's still a successful brand. So exactly. There's no worries there. And th- both those brands also make me think a little bit back uh, in the '90s with Chambord, which I guess was the bartender's ketchup at that time. Huge, yes. And I remember seeing that in London, traveling to London since uh, you know a flight from from Stockholm to London is not that far. Uh, so you oftenly went there for inspiration, as we mentioned before, and and uh, often you ended up buying a few bottles of of Chambord because it wasn't uh, a distributor here in Sweden. Mm-hmm. And then you, uh, you kept it at a bar and you spread it around, and then every bartender came down and tried your your drinks that you made with it. And uh, I mean, it came to the point when when uh, you know we, we we didn't mention, but Agavero was one of those as well. Pirates rum, the orange thing there. Uh, and the Chambord was uh, f- for a while. You you couldn't actually go to London. You couldn't announce that you were going to London without ending up with buying fifteen, twenty bottles. You know, over f- for seven, eight different bartenders because they they just dying to get it. No, absolutely. So <laughs> after a while, I just stopped telling people that I was going to London. <laughs> Told them when I got back instead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was the case with with. Uh uh, New York as well with like you know when Cocktail Kingdom when that started happening yeah. Linnell's as well but also b- just before we end on uh, on uh, uh, Chambord uh, I just want to briefly mention that I, I started thinking about the latest launch from Bombay Gin and their new flavor mm-hmm. Bramble yeah, yeah, flavor so, yeah. so if you think about like That's the drink today, Bramble actually. and Chambord would this new Bombay product be available if it wasn't for Chambord and the cocktail Bramble by mm. Dick Bradsell? Uh, interesting question. Mm. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Another huge thing uh, back in, I'm not sure, I think it came to Sweden 2006 or seven. Uh, agave syrup or nectar. Yep. And that became just a huge thing. And, and pretty uh, much only because of one single drink, right? 
yeah, more or less. Margarita. Yeah, yeah, more or less, exactly. And then it kind of evolved, like you know, b- being the healthier option for for swapping that instead of uh, uh, sugar, like simple syrup, using agave nectar, and uh, people just started using it for for uh, a lot of different drinks and cocktails. And uh, uh, the story goes that I think it was Tommy Tommy's restaurant in San Francisco that brought it into the U.S. And kind of made it big with the Thomas Margarita, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Funnily though, you know, we, we have one more episode after this episode uh, regarding menus. So I'm probably going to talk more about it then. But uh, I did some research. Uh, as I said, I was going back to back and forth to London a lot. And I, I collected menus. And I have this menu that I, I went through uh, when doing some research for, for this show or this episode regarding uh, products and booze and chamber and all that. Creme de Yvette as well is one of those brands that we didn't mention. But uh, then I saw a uh, old player menu from 2005, player that was part of the Match Bar Group. And uh, it had a section with classic drinks and variations of the classic drinks. Mm-hmm. So you had the margarita, right? Which is tequila, uh, lime juice, and, and uh, triple sec or control. And then you had a variation with... Uh, Reposado tequila, lime juice, and agave nectar. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what do you think that was Sounds called? familiar. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's basically a Tommy's margarita, right? Yeah. But this one was actually called the, the Bermejo. All right. Okay. So, so Julio Bermejo, right? A little. Interesting. Nod. Okay, yeah. cool. That's, that's, that's uh, yeah. That's great. <laughs> Side story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, but uh, as you said, sometimes it was just, it's crazy. You couldn't tell people that you were going abroad because everyone wanted you to pick up those, you know, quirky, cool cocktail bitters, etc. And I guess companies, independent small boutique companies such as Cocktail Kingdom, Linnell's in Red Hook, uh, what's the uh, what's the place called on Old Compton Street in uh, in London? Uh, Jerry's. Jerry's. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, Jerry's was my go-to shop in in London. It's just, I mean, I guess that type of, of uh, small speciality stores, they were so inspiring for bartenders. And I guess just the category of cocktail bitters really ignited and sparked that, you know, I don't know, ambition within bartenders. Uh, the the Amaro Chuncho, yeah. the Peruvian, uh, you know, Pisco Sour bitters, that yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I went to Linnell's in Red Hook and uh, to, to buy a couple of bottles for, for bartenders in in, in Stockholm. Yeah, and then I, I, if you knew that a bar had that bitter, you went to that bar and you ordered a pisco sour. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because it was, it. it was complete. It was perfect. It was, uh, it was uh, the, the missing link yeah, was, was yeah. there. <laughs> Funny story about when I went there. So this was pretty much before Google Maps and, and smartphones, etc. So I, I found the store. Went into a couple of other dodgy uh, liquor stores on the way to Lanell's. I found the place. I bought a couple of stuff. But then on my way back, I sort of got lost, you know. And this young kid from from Sweden, I stumbled into. I'm not sure if it was a super dodgy area, but it was like you know, project buildings, broken windows, cars without tires on the street, and uh, people just started looking at me. Perhaps not in a hostile way, but I'm pretty sure everyone was wondering what I was doing there. That kid is lost. Yeah, so I went 
the back pretty much the same way as I came. And I was like, shit, how do I get back to, to Manhattan? But then I saw uh, the Ikea in, in Red Hook. And then I jumped on one of those Ikea buses for free. So that <laughs> took me back to the city. <laughs> you fell home. Right? It's like you, you find an embassy. <laughs> oh, yeah, you, almost. And, uh, oh, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> you, feel, you felt safe. Uh, taking I should, care of your own they yeah, said, right? oh exactly <laughs> um but then um uh i'm also you know a little bit uh, intrigued to just mention quickly that you know certain spirits categories i guess moved on after you know bitters and and those um you know very specific type of liqueurs that we just uh, mentioned but also like mezcal for instance uh, the mm-hmm. the gin craze or the gin hype for bartenders with new brands popping up all the time or even the the let's say american whiskey bourbon and pappy van winkel yeah, yeah, which I is agree, just agree. was so hard to get a hold of so yeah, all yeah. of those categories sort of inspired bartenders to also you know th- it's almost like a category of spirits were driving the entire craft cocktail movement forward. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And I think uh, for Mezcal, I mean, Del Maguey uh, as a product, if you are mentioning a specific product, uh, was driving that category for, for a few years or, or still are. And uh, I think they won a prize, like a best product prize on Tails as well, if yeah. I'm not uh, Yeah, quite recently, wrong. right? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I mean, yeah, they did a lot for Mezcal, of course. Uh, gin, we can't do this without mentioning Hendrix, of course. And, and prior to that, actually, I, I still have to this day an, a sealed, unopened Tankery 10 from 2001. I bought it in New York in 2001. The, the, I think it was actually week it was launched in, in the U.S. Oh. And uh, it was just ch- changed the game, <laughs> changed the game for for uh, for premium gins or super premium yeah, gins, whatever you yeah. want to call that. But uh, it was a premiumization of of, of Tankery, and uh, uh, th- that made a big impact on me back then. Uh, I still have v- very much so. I mean, I, I, I still have that bottle, but I've, I've <laughs> been drinking other Tanker tens <laughs> from that bottle. Of but, course. Uh, and as you said, yeah, Pepe van Finkel because it was uh, limited editions, or not limited editions, but limited quantities, right? Yeah, and like different allocations for different, I guess, countries. Even when we bring American bartenders over here, it's almost easier for them to find Pepe here than back yeah, home in the yeah, U.S. Exactly. because they get also different allocations between different states. Um, I remember Whistle Pig was a big thing. Uh, or became a big thing here in Sweden after when that came out. So oh, the the former yep, uh, yep. distiller from Minkus Park, right? That's true. And also to the, before we leave gin completely, I mean the Heyman's Old Tom Gin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the uh, good point. Yeah, and like everyone wanted to make Martinez cocktails with uh, Old Tom style gin, and that was like such a big thing for for a time and then you know navy string that's hey and, and the bartender choice gin that we made with the stockholm's brandy here in stockholm with the lovage yep and uh, last year bergamots and yeah i mean that was a global success sold <laughs> out in, in a few seconds <laughs> mm, yeah, yep very, very local though <laughs> Um, plantation pineapple and plantation OFTD. So pretty yeah. much the, I would say that's uh, 
two products that has made a very big impact within the cocktail community and also the work that Alexandre Gabriel is improving. Yeah, he's like truly improving the uh the industry. Um such a such a leader to he's so inspiring. So um yeah, a very passionate. Uh, also, the fact that passionate. the plantation pineapple was like originally uh, made to to be given to the caps at sales back in 2014. So it's yeah, there was a special edition for them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it became so popular, and the the word spread so fast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe it's just a marketing plan. <laughs> Who knows? Good one though. Um, Altos tequila. Mm. Dre Masso and Henry Besson. Yeah, rest in peace, Henry Besson. Uh, yes, definitely. But that kind of changed the game for, for tequila. Yeah, like by bartenders, for bartenders at tequila, that's specifically made to... to change, change the game for commercial big brands of tequila, I would say. Yeah. They really open up the eyes for uh, the production techniques and, and the the heritage of how it was produced back in the day. Uh, yeah, it's a beautiful product. Yeah, and then uh, moving into the uh, drinks mixers uh, categories, I guess if we're starting with Fever Tree, mm-hmm. because I feel that apart from Schweppes, Fever Tree just came in and changed the game completely. Yeah, they, they took the, the our our world with storm. I would say, uh, creating this boutique uh, premium mixer. Yeah, and I think their slogan is uh, is uh, pretty brilliant. I'm paraphrasing, but it goes something like, if your mixer is three quarters of your drink, why not go with the best or, or something like that, which makes a lot of sense, of course. And I guess that's also such an eye-opener for consumers. Yeah, it feels like a penalty without a goalkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Um, and they launched in like 2003, and it took them a good 10 years. Uh, and then the founders of the brand, they sold 25% of the company. And then a year later, it was uh, introduced to the London Stock Exchange. A few years after that, the market value had increased four times. So it's quite a success story, I guess. What, wasn't a Swedish guy involved in that? Uh, I'm not sure if he was involved or invested maybe from the start or if he was one of those 2013 investors not sure could be Uh, but that I guess success stories about drinks mixers leads us into um, three cents and the grapefruit soda and Mm -hmm. the the guys from uh, Clumsis in Athens Greece which is also super cool since it's like Made by bartenders. Yeah, do you, th- do you think that is part of the success that is made by bartenders for for bartenders? I'm sure that's why it was embraced by the community initially, and that yeah. the grapefruit soda, soda was uh, super tasty. Yeah, it was kind of missing as well on a lot of markets. Yeah, Not a proper like a well made grapefruit soda. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I guess that's one side of the spectrum. And then if you look at Coca-Cola, the, the biggest player in the world when it comes to uh, soft drinks. But it's it's also interesting that they look at the smaller guys at the cocktail craft community and that they want to mm-hmm. be part of it. Yep. And now with their range of um, the Coca-Cola signature mixers. Yeah, that's super interesting. Uh, w- w- that is created with the help of bartenders, right? Uh, yeah, I believe so. 
with uh, three different flavors, which is like specifically made to to accompany certain spirits in in yeah. the best possible way. That's yeah, that's interesting for sure. Um, last year's winner at BCA for best product, Empirical Spirits, also nominated this year, yeah. uh, based in Copenhagen. Super innovative and pushing the boundaries for. Yeah, I they mean, re- spirits they, in general. Yeah, re- I mean, they're from the Nordics and from Denmark, but they really took the region with 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 storm, and uh, super fun uh, combinations or flavor combinations and and, and distillates uh, using raw material that we usually maybe not see that much, and uh, it's very playful and and creative, uh, experimental. Yeah, yeah, uh, which has been great. And now I think they they even uh, uh, they've done collaborations with the uh, bars as well, creating uh, RTDs or you know boozy kind of ready cocktails. Yeah, yeah, um, and uh, also another quite experimental take on the spirits category when that was launched. I guess was the non-alcoholic spirits, mm-hmm. Seedlip, Acorn. Um, we have. Uh, it's not a non-alcoholic spirit, but Sunbury Drinks Lab here in Stockholm, they make very tasty cordials, which you can create. Yeah, they actually just released the uh, the bitter aperitif, which mm-hmm. is a non-alcoholic uh, aperitif. Uh, I, I think uh, Acorn has that as well. Uh, but uh, it's just beautiful. Just pour it over ice uh, with a slice of or a zest of an orange. Uh, very, very tasty. Mm-hmm. Um. And now with the uh, the rise of the espresso martini, and we see that also um, being very popular uh, on on you know keg version on tap. Yeah, I saw that in the, in Australia, it's a huge th- huge thing uh, for uh, for many brands to have uh, the espresso martini on tap. is a is a huge thing. It's just got a revival that is uh, out of proportions. <laughs> yeah, and now they're popping up new brands. I mean, Kalua was sitting pretty much uh, on the top of the throne uh, uh, as the Borghetti. coffee liqueur. Yeah, exactly. Borghetti, etc. But now with Mr. Black Cold Brew Coffee Liqueur. Yeah. And then... That, that kind of shows the the, uh, the coffee movement, you know, the cold brew coffee culture movements that is really spread. Even Jaggermeister has launched a cold brew product. Oh, really? So, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but Mr. Black is beautiful. Uh, there's another one on the market right now called Al- Algebra. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah cane I saw that. Spirit and uh, slightly drier. Mm-hmm. Uh, also beautiful. Um, exactly. Well, uh, yeah. Ja- Jaggermeister and cold well, Why not? Yeah, well... <laughs> Um, okay, sliding into uh, today's third and final segment, we are for sure going over time today, so we need to wrap this up, otherwise listeners is going <laughs> to bleed from their ears. Uh, but talking a little bit about um, different uh, initiatives, uh, incentives, programs, etc. So uh, take it away. Uh, healthy hospo. Uh, I mean, great initiative, uh, and it's a very important initiative as well. Uh, it works both with physically, like you get your body moving, work out, do yoga, uh, go to the gym, run, 
uh, just make sure you, you get those endorphins kicking. And then, of course, the mental aspect of, of, of health as well is important. Uh, are, they are doing really well. Uh, we, uh, they're based in London, I think, right? Uh, working globally, of course. Uh, they just did a collaboration with uh, Love Drinks, which is a distribution company in, in the UK that carries boutique spirits. Uh, great, great brands. Uh, together with Me Body, which is an outdoor training uh, exercising company. They're doing uh, pretty much uh, gym stuff and, and classes outside in parks, uh, etc. So Healthy Hospital Love Drinks and Me Body uh, teamed up to further uh, approach the the industry and get us moving, okay. get us off our butts, and yeah, <laughs> and make sure that we're we're healthy so we we can do this tough job behind the bar. That's great. On the floor That's at the restaurants, great. and then we also seen brands um, such as um, didn't Pernod Ricard US team up uh, with a few uh, heavy names in the industry to create bar smarts. Oh yeah, it was David Wanderish, Steve Olson, uh, Dale DeGroff, right? We're missing somebody. Mm, I'm sure I, we I are. can't remember, but oh, that's heavy enough for me. Uh, but yeah, they did a, a training uh, program that traveled around in the U.S. Uh, okay, to raise inspiring the partners with educations on booze and, and cocktails and, and history, etc. Cool. Which also leads me a little bit into uh, an initiative that. Pernod Ricard Sweden launched uh, earlier this summer when uh, the pandemic was really ongoing and uh, not all bartenders could go to work and and because bars were closed, etc. would be the WSET, the Wine and Spirits Education Trust, where they actually uh, funded people. It's kind of a step program, right? Yeah, and they funded and and, uh, invested in letting bartenders doing it for free. Uh, which is just amazing and very generous. Oh yeah, that's good. Um, Speed rack, of course. Oh, absolutely. Do we, do we even have to say anything about it? Um, <laughs> no, it's a but super that, important thing, uh, and it's a it's a global thing now. Yeah, um, we've been talking about bringing it to Sweden as well. Hopefully we can in the future. So Speed Rack is um, a speed competition for uh, female bartenders. Um, which is it's huge in the U.S. It's uh, founded by Lynette Marrero and Ivy Mix, mm-hmm. and uh, they're also raising money for breast cancer, and they've been doing it for such a long time now. So, I mean, they've they've done amazing uh, work, and we had the pleasure of going to one of the competitions a few a few years back in in New York City, and it was just a blast to see. Uh, all these uh, female bartenders that were killing it on stage so fast and such a good event and for a good cause, which is just amazing. Yeah, just g- giving great female bartenders uh, attention and, and, uh, and uh, motivation and inspiring them as well to, to take more place, which is great. And then, of, fact, uh, of course, the, the charity thing is important as well. Absolutely. Um, we mentioned Cocktail Kingdom uh, earlier. Uh, but that was the same thing. There, like uh, you mentioned, like going to London or New York, uh, you had to buy a lot of uh, booze for every bartender. But that was the same for going to Cocktail Kingdom. I don't know how many times I ran up to their office in Midtown and uh, knocked on the door and I said, "What? You said you're from where? Yeah, I just want to buy <laughs> uh, four of those shakers and three of those mixing glasses and fourteen bar spoons and and uh, yeah, it's funny." 
but they also released uh, or reprinted a, a lot of old classic forgotten cocktail books. Yes, they did. Uh, which gave us access to to understand uh, <laughs> what we're doing or why why we're doing stuff that we do now, and just read up on all, all those uh, old beautiful books, uh, which is amazing. Yep. And then we have um, uh, some inventory systems, which, I mean, that could improve uh, the everyday life of bartenders. If inventory, you know, all that the was bo- boring stuff to do. Painfully the, boring. <laughs> so people can actually focus and put their energy in the more creative side of, of bartending and, and, you know, create amazing drinks and take care of their guests. Yeah, I read about one called the, the bartender in inventory system. There's a bunch of them, but uh, you simply have an app in your phone and... All the bottles on your shelf are uh, pre-programmed in your phone or in the app. So when you scan them or take a picture of them or something like that, they, they'll, uh, the the app will see how much, what were the level, the, the volume, uh, what do you say? <laughs> Where they wash The well, amount no, of the liquid. <laughs> how much liquid is left in a bottle <laughs> that would calculate uh, from, just from, from the picture on how much you have left. Sweet. Which makes it fairly easier or much easier yeah i wish we had that when i was working behind the bar yeah exactly um and then i wanna i wanna finish by by uh, giving a shout out to trash cheeky to our dear friends ian griffiths and kelsey ramage of course what they've uh, been you know be being able to make sustainable drinks sexy sort of and they've done it in a like guerrilla marketing way like punk rock style they've been shouting they've been preaching about it and they've done it good enough so that actually bigger brands have sort of caught on to the uh to the entire I mean, thing more or less they're i would say they are the reason why studerhof here in stockholm which is a, a big restaurant uh why they're not doing uh, plastic stores anymore mm-hmm. which is weird but I don't think there's any any cup or any bartender uh, in the world that has done such an impact like they've done the past past few years, and also from such a small budget. Yeah, because exactly. They, they weren't really backed up by any huge budgets or or anything like no. that. It was just a very very inspiring and and a brilliant way of doing it, and also and not only. Oh, I'm sorry. The I mean the, the drinks they've created. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've yeah, done yes, like I mean fantastic stuff so amazing stuff and it's uh shockingly good <laughs> to be honest mm-hmm. uh, but uh they, they haven't only done a, an in impact or, or improved the the bar industry and the restaurant industry they, they kind of improved the environment as well or that's what they actually are doing you know and uh, of course you know that kind of improves uh, the industry as well with how we think about consumption and consuming uh, you know everything around drinks whether the Tissues and trash and yeah, straws, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and fruits and you know all of that. Check Ver, them out on very, very much So yeah, um, and the last thing I have is actually a little uh, wish before the holiday season, a Christmas gift. So if, <laughs> okay. if anyone sits on a imperial shaker, you can send <laughs> the it to imperial our cocktail shaker. Yeah, you can send it to our office. Yes, please do. Because that 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 wins best product and <laughs> an improver of the bar industry any day. <laughs> That's true. Shout out to to Jason Crawley. Yeah, absolutely. 
All right. Um, I guess we could go on for hours like this, and we sort of have, and we're sorry about that. Next episode is going to be short, a bit shorter, and um, but you know, uh, we like talking about uh, the things that we love, and that's the uh, the uh, all, all things bartending, all things cocktails. Um, but I guess we've actually missed a few important topics so if we have you know let us know uh remind us about your favorite stuff that has changed the industry for the better email us to podcast at bartenderschoice.se and remember that the digital bca gala 2020 takes place this sunday december 6th on facebook live at 8 p.m central european time so make sure to tune in. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I guess that's it for, for today. Yeah, I think so. Now I'm going to crack open two beers with my improved blade. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that. Thank you. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Stay healthy. Stay strong. Cheers. School, everybody. Bye. Ciao.